Do we have anything yeah. for the little intro? Uh, uh, no. Did somebody say, does somebody say penis? Does somebody <laughs> no. say it? Penis! <laughs> there, oh, okay, we said. have something... At- Everybody, welcome to Elder Speak, the official podcast of ElderGeek.com. My name is Kippy Trentonio. With me tonight is Gavin Green. Yo. Elliot Hagen. Hey. And Mots, the sexy man himself, Pasca. Yo. Yo. So tonight we're going to be talking about a couple of different things. Uh, Modern, Warfare, Modern Warfare 2, uh, missing dedicated servers. GT5 could be on three discs. Uh, God of War 3, downloadable content. Nickelodeon requiring acquiring the rights to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, we're gonna be talking about our wiki and geeky. Uh, we're gonna be talking a little bit about Chinatown Wars, DJ Hero, and our question of the week tonight is um, games that revolutionized gaming. So go ahead and get started. Uh, let's start off with the news, and I'm gonna swing it over to Gavin. So go ahead, Gavin. Thank you, Kip. Okay, in the news, first topic of the week is Modern Warfare 2 missing dedicated servers. Uh, pissing off a lot of PC gamers, like mods. Take the floor, mods. Uh, yeah, so I put this post up, I think, uh, Saturday last week, and uh, we got a lot of angry responses from our users on it, and uh, understandably so. Uh, basically what happened is that um, uh, one of the lead guys in, in, in Fit Into Ward came out and said that uh, to replace dedicated servers, they've actually built a new network or a new technology to deal with uh, to deal with their user base, uh, which basically makes um, makes matchma- matchmaking possible within Steam. Uh, and um, this sucks. Uh, I could go on more, but uh, I'll let one of you guys take the rest. I guess, what's the purpose of it? Well, uh, from what I understand is they want to eliminate uh, piracy and and uh, or not eliminate piracy and and also eliminate cheaters. Uh, uh, with the old system, it was very easy to hack and get away with it. But uh, with this new system, you'll all, always have a host that's actually there uh, playing the game. And so if anyone... Um, cheats, then he can just kick them. Um, so th- this way, the, it'll be much harder to get away with that stuff. Uh, also, this way, you won't be able to join any modded servers, so you won't be able to join custom games. Uh, which also, of course, means you won't be able to join private servers, which don't require you to have the authenticated version of the game. Uh, so <sighs> I, I think this is a response to that. Honestly. I don't like it. I don't like it. Yeah. I mean, I guess, is it going to, what's, okay, what is your concern with not having these dedicated servers? Uh, mostly, for me, it's all about ping. It's all about uh, the connection of the users and not being, uh, yeah, not being fast enough to, to handle uh, 32 players on one map. I mean, do you think that's, do you think that's what's going to actually happen? I mean, do you think it's going to be like that? Or I mean, it's it is the biggest probably first-person shooter 
to ever come out. So I'm going to say that they probably, when they made that decision, knew that they could do it. You know what I mean? Still, but, uh, I mean, I, I, I haven't really, um, I, we don't really know exactly how this new technology works. But mm-hmm. even even just not being able to to join some of the custom maps that existed on Call of Duty uh, yeah. Four is just uh, a real shame because they were really really good. Uh, mm. To me, that's I mean, there's no real reason they couldn't um, offer both both dedicated servers and matchmaking. Uh, so, yeah. Well. I don't, to me, I guess that it just sounds to me like they they probably have it figured out already. You know what I mean? Because they know that they know that more people are going to be playing this game than ever before. And so mm-hmm. I don't I don't know. To me, it just sounds like he he said one thing and then gamers just ran with it and only took one piece of it. You know. So either way, um, our forums are open to all of the the comments for people listening. But moving on in the news. And next item on our list is Assassin's Creed Lineage. Uh, Ubisoft announced a trio of live-action films to promote the release of Assassin's Creed 2 next month. The first in the trilogy is Lineage, and we have the trailer debut just last week. Um, this week, excuse me. It's uh, done by Hybrid Studios, the same guys behind the special effects of 300 and Sin City. So we basically we got live-action actors against a major green screen studio, and just um, they're bridging the gap between the games. Uh, what do we think? Horrible. Not good. Not good at all. If they got some proper costumes and uh, maybe, yeah, proper actors, possibly made it look better. Because as it stands, the film quality it it just doesn't seem right. It seems it like a soap what, opera. Here's what it looks like. It looks like something they failed while trying to repli- replicate the look of 300. Mm. <laughs> mm. In my opinion. Yeah, with the filter they're using and all that. The extreme reds and all that. Hmm. Yep, what do you think? Well, I guess guess all I know is that traditionally, live actors do not work in video games (laughs) in any way. So I'm going to stick with that for now until I'm proven wrong. I'm going to say that they work when they absolutely don't work. So in Command & Conquer, Conquer, for example. Yeah, (laughs) so... I'm actually, uh, until I see the full movie, I'm going on the assumption that this is purposely bad, and we just haven't seen any of the really bad bits yet. So that's what I'm going on until I see the full movie. But the full movie, uh, Assassin's Creed Lineage, will uh, debut on YouTube, and of course Ubisoft's own site later this month, so uh, keep on a lookout for that. Elliot Elliot and Gavin, you guys are film guys. Uh, Would it be more costly for them to do this in full CG? Um, It really depends. Depends. I mean, if they used all of the existing resources from the actual games, I mean, I don't think it would be that much more expensive. So I'm thinking in the way of uh, a Fallen Fantasy movie here. I think quality. they should just do the whole thing motion capture. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think um, the, the current partnership would work out because Hybrid Studios uh, does not specialize in CG characters. They specialize in CG backgrounds. No, obviously this would be in-house Ubisoft because they, yeah. you know, know how to do that. Um, um, I just, I, I just think that's the preferred. That would be a, a better way to go because then you could use the same voice actors. You could use the 
you know, it, it could look right. It could look like it belongs in the. And furthermore, you'd be using the same animators from the games, so yeah. you know they'd move right. It would be, it would be so much better. Yeah. Indeed. But this I, is, uh, I think this. Do we even need a CG? Do we even need a movie? I mean, no. Yes. No. I mean, Assassin's Creed is not like this expansive world that like I really need to know about. It was it's one game right now, or like one game and a DS game or whatever, and an uh, iPhone game and a PSP game. Yeah. And a... <laughs> well, the PSP game didn't come out yet, did it? No, but it, no. It, that was a PSP game for the first, wasn't it? No, no, yeah, no. That's the thing is like this isn't like an expansive world that's been like brought like you know it's not like it's. There's been four or five different games, and we need story filled in. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, so I'm actually thinking this is them trying to get as much use out of this partnership as they can because they advertised hybrid their partnership with Hybrid Studios early in the year as a major um, thing with them. Uh, their technology is being integrated into their games, and I think this is just another way to get as much money out of it as they can, and despite quality. Mm. I think the lack of quality is a key term here, but I don't. I just think this is. Um, Another fluff project just to get uh, use out of this partnership. But hey, what do we know? Uh, again, October 27th on YouTube, we'll, we'll see what comes out of it. So either way, uh, see, right I, along. It's free. Okay. Too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'd imagine so. So it has to. Uh, what? Uh, I guess perhaps they'll release the DVD bundle. It's a promotion uh, thing, uh, from what I can tell. I mean, anybody who's going to so, watch this is going to probably have already already be planning to buy the game. It seems to me. You know. It's just it's just one step above uh, viral marketing, you know, like yeah. what they did for Wet, like that what they did for Tekken Six, Halo. Oh yeah, Halo, that one. Yeah. Um, Although some quality production values, uh, mm. I'll give it that the the ODST Wet mm. scale. Mm, but yeah. we pretty much uh, run this one to the ground. None of us are particularly anticipatory over this, but again, late this month. Be on YouTube to see the final result. Um, next topic on our news list is Australia yet again denying Left for Dead for the same reason, thinking that there's not enough difference between the infected and actual people. Um, and they also want iPhone game ratings, the same way that the ESRB rates console and handheld and PC titles they want on the iPhone. Mm. So anyone else got see, see, Australia, I, I, from what I've, I can tell about this, this whole rating situation, it's all because they don't have an 18 plus or a mature rating. Basically, they have a 15 plus rating, and mm-hmm. there are a lot of people in Australia fighting to get this rating. But there's one guy, seriously, one single guy that's stopping it, and he's some sort of. Uh, uh, anyone know what his official title is? Oh, Asshole. Yeah. <laughs> he's in control, basically. Aussie hole. <laughs> and from from what I've read, he is a fundamentalist, uh, or not necessarily fundamentalist, but very very conservative. Um, uh, it was like Jack Lunty back when Jack Lunty was alive for the mm-hmm. MPAA. Yeah. So uh, I just I think it's sad. Uh, they they will, however, get the uh, the edited version of Left 4 Dead, which means it won't have uh, decapitations uh, or. Uh, or any significant amount of blood, and you won't see dead bodies lying around. Uh, that's basically the only change. Uh, but I think it's a significant change uh, that mm-hmm. 
that will yeah. to me that would that would affect my enjoyment of the game substantially. Yeah. And I think that just the logistics of rating every single iPhone game it would take far too long because indie developers are churning them out like rabbits. Well, now, no, what you what you gotta do then is you you make it part of the process of getting a game on the store on iTunes because mm. you have to have it rated. So. Yeah, but that's still, you know, an entire new branch, and you still need to have a third party rating all of these games. Uh, it's on the iPhone. There's no doubt Apple, that this would Apple do it. Yeah, know. there's no no doubt that this would cost a lot of money, but yeah. at the same time, I think it's the kind of thing you can raise funds for. Uh, yeah. So. I don't know. It could cost. It could cost a lot of money, or. It could be whoever reviews the games before they go up there right now just clicking one more box on a spreadsheet. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. It could just be that. We don't know. So. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah. Go on, listen. Yep. We moving on? Okay, moving right along. Gran Turismo 5, the highly anticipated racing simulator, uh, just was featured in a Mercedes-Benz promotional video, um, a.k.a. commercial, and the box packaging that the game had, had slots available for three discs. Uh, thus, a lot of industry analysts are saying that the game itself could be three discs long. And for a 50 gigabyte Blu-ray, that is an exceptionally huge game. Others are pretending that the two, uh, other two discs are possibly for a special edition, for a soundtrack, or a bonus materials disc. But there was no indication on the box the special edition. So, I'm, what do we think? I'm going to go ahead and predict that there's one game disc, and then there's two special edition discs. Because yeah. if anyone has paid any attention to GTTV on uh, Gran Turismo Prologue, they release a huge amount of video footage uh, of uh, of various uh, you know sponsored events and and yeah. stuff like that, and it's all free and it's all GT branded, uh, or most of it uh, except for Top Gear. Um, and um, the 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 director of the game actually test drives a bunch of cars on on different tracks. Uh, so I, I think maybe this could be just you know a huge uh, collection of of, uh, of that stuff. Um, do you think even I, I'm I don't know would, this. Uh, Sorry, I don't know this, but can a blue can the PS3 read like dual layer uh, Blu-ray discs? Right, I can. Right? Yeah, the That's Metal Metal Gear is dual, dual layer. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I know that there's been there's already proven technology that they can quad layer a Blu-ray disc so it can hold up to 200 gigs. Actually, they're up to 400 now. Yeah, yeah. So I, <laughs> I really think that there's no there's no reason why, um, like, why would they need to go onto separate discs? Well, because so. um, I don't know. I think uh, the PS3 uh, three uh, supports up to three layers on a Blu-ray, so that's uh, a little over 100. Okay. I guess the argument is then is is the game going to be 150 gigs? I really doubt it. No, no. It's, I it's, think there might. I mean, I think there might be an artwork in there. I mean, in the actual video, we saw that there was enough room to hold three Blu-ray cases, but you never know. One of them might be used for something else. Yeah. I don't know. An art, an art book, though. To to of course. Hey, I mean. The game is art, basically. <laughs> I don't know. I, I can't really comment because I've never played a Gran Turismo game. I don't really understand the appeal. I'm not that all into Sims, but if someone—that's all there is to it. So. Yeah. 
if someone who's interested in, let's say, watching hours of footage on how the game was made or hours of footage on different cars, I'm sure that person would be interested in an art book or something. Yeah, but I don't think that's really how um, this works. I, I mean, an art book for them would basically just be pictures of cars and places. They don't really do concept art. They just go out and take pictures of real places and real cars and recreate that in the game. So, I don't know. Uh, then again, this could all be the most obvious answer. That's not the actual box art. But then mm, why yeah. are they using This could be a special edition of some kind, including some sort of uh, you know, model car or something. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're not sure. This is all speculation at this point, but feel, sure to, um, feel free to comment on what you think. Yep. In any way possible. Well, it's not going to be on multiple discs. It's not 150 gigs, and it's not nah. going to be like, oh, I've won, I've won this many races. Now I have to take out the disc and put in this other disc so I can win more races. Like that's yeah. absurd. It doesn't now, make sense. That was the whole concept of using Blu-ray, basically, yeah. for games. So no, I don't All think. Right. So. Tips down. Hear him out. Polyphony Digital. Kip is throwing throwing you down. Okay, yeah. uh, moving right along on the news here. Dragon Age pushed forward. This means um, prior to this announcement, um, the, the PC and Xbox 360 release of Dragon Age was scheduled for November 3rd, and the PlayStation 3 version was scheduled for November 17th. We recently got the announcement that the game has gone gold, which is pretty um, pretty traditional for, for this time schedule, production time schedule, but the PlayStation 3 delay is not going to happen anymore. So all three versions are going to be available on November 3rd at the same day, uh, for America at least. Um, Europe is still getting a delay in the PlayStation release with no actual release date. So, Of course America. it is. <laughs> Never mind the that Western there's actually more people in Europe. <laughs> I don't know. So yay for PlayStation 3 owners, I suppose. Would, um, anyone yeah. got any thoughts? Aside from Max, the uh, dirty, dirty I mean... I mean I did not mind waiting a couple of weeks. It's I, I'm not that desperate to play Dragon Age Origins. Yeah. And you know, <laughs> if I did play it, I'd want to play it on a PC because. Yeah. Dude, I, I think I, I think Randy would be pretty pretty upset at your response there, Kip. What? I think Randy would be pretty upset at your response there. About Dragon Age? Yeah. <laughs> like, of all the games this holiday season, I don't care get pushed back to 2010. Dragon Age is probably the bottom of the list. I gotta be honest. Like, so. I don't, I don't know. know. I, think it, I, like I, I, think, I think it looks really cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm definitely gonna get it. It's just, I'm gonna be getting a lot of other things first. Mm-hmm. Oh. Uh... I, I find that if people that are have the word dragon or age or empire or, or origins or origins or tactics, I generally don't. <laughs> so No, but seriously though, what yeah. last game did you fight a dragon in? Lair? Fable. Yeah, the game sucked, so... <laughs> No, there's no dragons in Fable, is there? Fable of the Lost Chapter. The last dra- the last boss is Jade of oh. Plague as dragon. Uh, spoilers. But hey, none of these guys are interested. I am, so... <laughs> Whatever, man. If yep. you're that and you're a history owner, congrats to you. But we're moving on. I mean, and we're going I'm, on to Fable. Huh? I'm definitely interested in it. I'm just skeptical about whether or not it'll work well on a PS3 because... 
it really seems like it should be a PC game. I don't, I don't know if they're going to be able to get the controls to yield on a PS3. Not to mention if they do, Xbox. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and Xbox. If they do, I'll buy it, definitely. Hey, welcome on, man. Okay, uh, I'm moving right along to Fable 3. Um, as if it's no surprise to anyone, Fable 3 will be supporting Project Natal, uh, Microsoft's motion control system of sorts. And also it will be supporting a micro microtransaction economy where some stores will offer fancy, expensive equipment for a real-world real cost. Um, and that might actually extend to offering in-game areas and environments for a cost as well. But... So we got Natal and we got microtransaction. What do you guys think? Um, yay, Natal. Boo, microtransactions. Yeah, I, I want to pretty much hate everything you just said. <laughs> I, yeah, I say boo to both. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think I don't think they would um, tack on uh, Natal too much. I think it would be some something optional. Uh, if not, then. Maybe boo, depending on how well it's Peter Molyneux's game, and Peter Molyneux is like the driving force behind Natal. I'm going to say the whole game is going to be Natal, if you ask me. Hmm. I well, can't especially think since one of the major features is touch in this game, so oh, I think yeah. you're going to be shaking hands and hugging people quite a bit, which for a virtual for a virtual reality simulator, that's going to be a bit awkward. But Just yeah. make a good RPG. I don't want a virtual reality simulator. Make a good, solid RPG. I can't think how they're going to manage to integrate Natal in the entire game. And I'm not going to like it if they're just bits and pieces, you know, just little gimmicks here and there. Well, I, I'm going to say it's going to be a Project Natal game wrapped in Fable. You know what I mean? You, got, you yeah. can't think yeah. of, like, it's not going to be a Fable game. It's going to be a Project Natal game Fable-themed, so. I don't know, there though. You I mean, you mean, I mean, Peter Molyneux is pretty uh, devoted to Fable, though. Well, I'd say I think no. He's, I think he's I think he's very devoted to pushing gaming forward. So. Yeah. Mm. I think the tallest thing, you know. He likes the spotlight a lot, certainly. Um, I, I mean, to me, microtransactions is the worst part of this, just because I don't want to be. I want to buy the game and be done with it. Yes. Uh, <laughs> DLC and all that. That's fine, but that's more optional. I don't want to pay for something that's that's. Yeah. yeah, on disc, and not to mention, uh, in some way, an upgrade. I don't want to pay for my next sword or armor or oh, God, no. or whatever. Uh, I just, no. No, thank you. Swords, armor, I can give a crap about because, you know, I can just go with the thing. I'll be, you know, I'll be irritated, but when you cut off pieces of the game on disc and then sell them to you again in addition to the price of the disc, that's when you kind of start to piss me off. Mm. Like, the idea... Areas and environments, and possibly missions. If you if you give me the disc for free, then that's totally fine. But if I have to pay sixty bucks for the disc and then pay for the armor and the swords and all that, then yeah. I, I don't think know about. It's cool. I think it's cool. I think it's the only way I think that that's cool is in like Rock Band, because essentially with Rock Band you're making the game your own. Like rather than yeah. buying like set. You know what I mean? Set track expansions or whatever. I get to pick the songs I want, pay $5, and get three songs. I think that's a pretty good deal. I like that. So, mm. Although they also do access on disc. But still, your point is still valid. Yeah. yeah, none of us are particularly happy about this. But, again, we don't know much about the game yet. But so far, these details are not very appealing. So let's move on 
to some more 360 news, uh, Steve Ballmer had just recently announced, uh, he had recently had made a comment that made everyone believe that a Blu-ray sort of add-on in the, in the same vein as the HD, HD DVD add-on the system had will be coming for 360. So you just have another little bit, um, hard drive attachment and that you can just insert Blu-rays in. But he has confirmed no Blu-ray edition, mm. no Blu-ray add-on, no hard drive. Smart. If you ask me, it's not going to sell anyway. It, it would be a nice thing maybe for for people who own exclusively 360s, but they're not going to. I mean, what's the point of it? They're not going to make a Blu-ray exclusive game for 360. Uh, and I don't think that they could actually manufacture a Blu-ray add-on, you know, for less than two hundred and fifty dollars, and you know, sell it at less than two hundred and fifty dollars. No, nah, sure they could, sure they could. It's just a disk drive. I mean, you have Blu-ray players for less than that now, so all you'd basically need is it's the actual disk drive, and then you'd do all the other components from the 360 itself. You know, all this. I don't know. The last time a company started putting all these add-ons on their system, uh, that company stopped making systems pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, Sega. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, the Blu-ray technology has gone down sharply in price for the in the past few years, so it, it's not completely out of question that they can make it. A, affordable. A, what's the word? An affordable term uh, in terms of Microsoft's idea of affordable. Yeah. Um, well, regardless, they're not doing not it. So let's talk about them not doing it. I would say a big piece <laughs> of it has to be the press as well. That they don't want to be. It don't, doesn't want to be viewed as oh, PS3 was right. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. also that they're going to push their digital distribution and say of inevitably that they were right for having digital distribution for. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So. I don't yeah. know. I think I think their uh, unless their next console is in ten years, uh, I think they're pretty much gonna have to include it in the next one. So, um, yeah. I bet you it'll be all downloadable in the next one. I don't. Oh God, I hope not. I, I don't think that's gonna fly too well. With, I think they're gonna fail if they do that. I think no. I don't think we're ready yet. I don't think we will be ready unless it's in ten years. I, I don't mean, think we'll ever be ready because then that's pretty much every single game retailer out of business, at least in terms of new games. Guys, you got to remember, all it takes is Walmart to agree to sell codes at their store, and mm. it's over. That's all yeah, it takes. Uh, I mean, they don't care. Uh, don't confuse this. Microsoft and Sony and Nintendo do not care about the welfare of GameStop. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, neither do I. I hate GameStop. Oh. Everyone does, but... Yeah, I think we're getting. A bit, I think tangenting off into a discussion that we didn't particularly want to uh, plan to have. Yeah. So yeah. I'm going to move on here. And I don't know. I'm just going to say that on the PSP Go, I've totally embraced digital distribution. I think it's cool. So. Mm. And I agree so that for a handheld, for a handheld, it's fantastic. But. Yeah. If my massive PS3 is under my TV, I would like to have a nice collection of boxes nearby, and discs. But so if like, it's on for what for what reason? Display, organization, all sorts of things. Pride. Well, I mean, no, but I, I'm I'm gonna say this. I I agree with you, Elliot. I agree with you that it's very nice to have a display of of your games and all that. But I think you're still going to have that in some fashion. And even though I do not want the digital distribution to take over right now. In the future, I can see them having a system where uh, there's basically a virtual shelf 
where you have all mm-hmm. your games set, and all your buddies on their friends list can go and watch and you know look over it and all that stuff. It, it, that factor, I don't think, is going to disappear just because it's the digital distribution. What I do think is the major problem with uh, with this, uh, with you know, getting people ready for this, is perceived value. Uh, oh yeah. And and basically that's the the big uh, wall in their way right now. I think. Yeah, I don't know. I think that if in the in the end, Sony, Microsoft, and Nintendo are going to make more money by selling the game straight to the consumer. Yeah. Than through a company, and that's what's going to win out in the end. Mm. Well, not well, they wouldn't make any money from me because if uh, they cut out the middleman, then uh, I don't have a job, and <laughs> then I can't buy any video games. Yeah. Well, I mean, they don't really care about you. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> We're all in the bottom row. All right. I think we've I think we've killed this discussion. Everybody meet Kip in the future for the next generation and embrace it as he has. But yeah. uh, moving on to a game that's on going to be on disc, we have some discussions about DLC for God of War 3. Stig Ostmussen, the producer of the game, has recently talked about um, perhaps re- uh, releasing challenge rooms, a la um, uh, Batman Arkham Asylum and Bioshock, for the game. Um, a lot of new enemies that you can just gauntlet challenge through, and I've heard sounds like a good idea for me. Uh, for me, what do you guys think? Um, yeah, uh, I think God of War is the perfect... Um match for challenge rooms uh, I don't see anything I, I mean if they price it right then it's going to be awesome yeah. I think it's the classic case of cutting content off the disc and selling it to you afterwards I've never paid for a challenge room up to this point why should I now You know. actually yeah that's true I mean so, uh, like uh, the Lord of the Rings games on the PS2 they had a bunch of challenge uh Challenge modes afterwards, the Baldur's Gate games on PS2. They had challenge modes. Uh, Batman, Arkham Asylum. Yeah, but uh, the PS2 ones were free, and they were on the disc. And yeah, so was Batman. Oh, wait, Arkham Asylum's also been free, yeah. Good yeah, point. and you even, on PS3, you even got a new character with new yeah. attacks and everything. So, so I mean, yeah. I don't, to me, it's just, uh, I mean, I don't know, man. I foresee this costing maybe two bucks. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'm going to buy it because I love God of War, but... Yeah, me too. I'm going to buy it. Not, I'm not going to be happy about buying it. So. Yeah. I think it's all about taking director, um, the game's developers at their word. Some of us are not keen to, some others. Um, I actually think that there could be something like they just produce it after they produce the main game. I think that is possible. Uh, then again, I'm, I'm trusting more on, so hey. But, I mean, we have to see it, we have to, we're talking a lot about this uh, being, you know, a cheap move and all that. But we have to see it from their perspective. Game development is getting more and more expensive and prices prices aren't going up. Uh, So they have to find other ways to make more revenue. And, Mm -hmm. And, I mean, to be fair, if they didn't, we probably wouldn't have as good games. So True. So, I mean... You've got to remember, though, I mean, they're making money. You know, like they're not, you know, some of the smaller companies maybe aren't. Santa Monica Studios is making money. Yeah. So, I mean, they're not hurting. So. Whatever. Uh, But the idea of it is still a pleasant concept. Paying for it is just where we have problems. (laughs) But moving on to our last news item for the week. Um, Another buyout from, um, from one of our classic child love. 
Nickelodeon, the famous chi uh, children's entertainment channel, and Empire, uh, has acquired the rights to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles franchise. Um, I assume we all know about that. I don't really want to recount the theme song. So that includes every, um, everything so far and future video game, TV, film installments. And in, connected to their announcement of acquiring the rights, they have announced a new CG animated um, television series to premiere supposedly in 2012. Nickelodeon so. is a bit. Uh, I'm a bit. I was a bit old when that, you know, got big. But from watching it, I couldn't I imagine myself ever liking that 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 network as a kid. It was just too weird. You know? Did they have Freakazoid? Was Freakazoid on Nickelodeon? Or that was not on Nickelodeon. That was on WB. Yeah. So what do you guys yeah. think? Um, Wait, Ma, did I, you say you were, you were too old for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? No, Nickelodeon. Oh, okay. I, what? Dude, when we were growing <laughs> up, Rugrats and stuff was on. Dude, it was all about Cartoon Network. Dude, I guess, I, guess <laughs> yeah. I, guess I, I guess I was older than you, because when I was a kid, that's all you watched was Doug, Rugrats, like Ren and Stimpy. Those, the Nicktoons was where it was at. Hmm. <laughs> See, to me... See, see, to me, I just, I hate their designs. I hate their, you know, uh, humanoid designs. <laughs> their draw, their style. It's just, it's, it, the actual style is weird, but the content isn't. The content is pretty normal. So I, I just, I don't know. It never really appealed to me. Hmm. You've been kind of quiet. What do you think about this? Um, I stopped caring about teen Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, a long time ago. They haven't really impressed me at all recently, and I don't think that a shift in ownership is really going to make a difference at all. Uh, I, yeah, I really don't think we're the prospective audience for this television show, or indeed this franchise anymore. But, yeah. I mean, do you think that the franchise will remain in its sort of quality that it has been for the past years? Or no, I think, that they're, I think they're going to take it Repackage it for uh, nowadays kids. I mean, they're gonna fail because yeah. the reason it was cool was the same reason Sonic the Hedgehog was cool, and he can't come over to the new generation because it was all about like being cool and having a party attitude. Actually, it, the turtles cool. Actually, and, Sonic is pretty popular uh, among kids. What? Do you, do you know what kids watch, Mots? They don't watch Sonic the Hedgehog. They watch Hannah Montana and shit, right? Well, from, from what <laughs> I can tell, Sonic X did, did pretty well. I'm not saying that the games don't do well, but it's it's we're talking about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and how that's going to do. I mean... Sonic X was just anime. Yep. Like, yep. unless... What? <laughs> Never Sonic mind. What the hell did you just say to me? <laughs> what? I said your mother your mother does blow. I don't know. Um, I was saying that Sonic X is was an anime that was brought over to American animated stations and it did relatively well. That's what kids. Yeah, uh, is, it, is it, Okay, I know that, but is it still on the air? I no, know. I think the series finished. Yeah, I, I think it's dead. So I'm gonna yeah. say hmm. that it wasn't successful. It was like you got to remember what what is considered successful for kids is like Hannah Montana. That's successful. Mm, you know, okay, like, yeah. I, people buy yeah. everything. Yeah, that's where they make money. And 
that's what Turtles was back in the early 90s, is it was making so much money, it was absurd. But the reason oh, yeah. was it it capitalized on the feeling of the early 90s. The kids could relate to that, like, Beastie Boys kind of, like, party rebel, you know, but we're good kids at the same time attitude. Mm. And same thing with Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan fits into that whole schema of things, too. He's, like, this, like, tough guy, awesome, but he's, like, really, it's, like, healthy and good for you at the same time. That stuff isn't cool anymore. And What's that's cool why now? Turtle, what's cool now? Hannah Wait. Montana, man, being a rock star. Jonas Brothers. Like, oh God, I hate those guys. Yeah, so we have, you, uh, so, they're not meant. They're not meant for you. Like, you know. So, so Kip, you're saying that kids have just become more self-righteous and self-indulgent as the as the years have gone on. I'm not saying. Oh, I didn't now, say, I didn't say so, any of that. I just said that 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 isn't going to appeal to kids anymore. Yeah. Like kids, kids want to be when kids who they want to be isn't like a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle anymore. You know what I mean? They want to be a rock star. They want to be. You know, all these different other things that are much different. I don't know. It's just a different, it's a paradigm shift in what is popular among kids. So. Yeah, we need to bring back the anthropomorphic animal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, 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 fur, the furry revolution needs to come back. Furry revolution. Okay, Mars flies for the win. Different there, Kip. But um, to be fair to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, not that we need to be. Um, they did recently have a reboot of the animated franchise, and it was based on the Mirage Group and um, Four Kids, which is where Nickelodeon got the rights. And it was pretty successful for the cost of production. So it's not like these guys have ditched and just reappeared after a 10-year absence. They have sort of hung on with the skin of their teeth, and I think we're going to see more of that. But I think it's going to be just like the 2017 movie in a television form, which... Isn't gonna go do it as well. I agree with Kip on that. That failed. But, that failed too. Every every single turtle thing they did since the the turtles ended has been a failure, and yeah. there's nothing they can do to save it. The reason Nickelodeon's picking up on it is because they're like, this is a proven this is a proven formula that is safe, and we know we're gonna make a certain amount of money on it. That's all. So. Yeah. Yep. Anyway. All right. That's yep. that's the that's the news all for so that's it for news this week. Uh, we're going to move on to our Wiki and Geeky. So uh, I'm going to start with Elliot first. What you been doing Geeky this week? Uh, been making some more videos. Uh, been working on Episode 3 of the Eldergate Gaming Show. Uh, Ooh. Yeah, which is going to feature uh, four games for the Super Nintendo by a company called Raya Systems. They made four games... Uh, that were sponsored by the American Medical Association, I believe. Two of them are about diabetes, one of them is about asthma, and the other one is about tobacco usage. Hmm. And uh, they're all pretty interesting. I predict failure. leave it with that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They were hard Uh, to track down, uh, pretty hard to track down, but uh, it was worth it. Let's not Uh, spoil it. (laughs) Did you play any Chinatown Wars? Uh, yeah, I was actually playing Chinatown Wars on the PSP. I really enjoyed the DS version, and PSP version looks better, it sounds better, but it doesn't play quite as well. But that's mostly because the PSP has always felt kind of stiff in my hands. Hmm. I've never, it's never felt comfortable to play. Not like a DS. A DS I could play for hours, but uh, just the button layout, the actual configuration of the system. And you were playing this on a 3000, right? Yeah, 3000. Okay. Okay. 
Yeah, because I actually I talk about that a little bit in my in my review of the PSP that should be going up here pretty quick. Uh, the PSP Go is that how how you hold the thing is dramatically different for mm-hmm. the uh, the new PSP that you're holding it underneath almost as if you're texting versus yeah. the old PSP you got to have your elbows out and it's kind of uncomfortable. Yeah. That's why I actually talk about that a little bit. I think that's a really good point. So yeah. Anyway, so um, uh, how about Mots? What you been doing? I've actually been playing some uh, Fatal uh, or Fatal or Fatila or whatever. Uh, it's it's a art game. Uh, I have a review up on it um, from the site or on the site. Sorry, and it's uh, yeah. Uh, I recommended uh, don't bother on it because it's just it's thirty minutes long, and you will most likely not understand it. <laughs> and now, I s- do you want to give do you want to give us a little background on what the game's about, Mats? Uh It's based on a no- novel or not novel, sorry, on a play by o- Oscar Wilde called Salome. Um, and Salome is actually originally a biblical story about uh, John the Baptist. John the Baptist. Yeah, exactly. And um, it deals with uh, uh, the play uh, is actually a you know extension of the biblical story, and the play deals with stuff like. Uh, uh, betrayal, necrophilia, uh, all kinds of fun stuff like that, and uh, <laughs> and um, uh, does the, the game lead to necrophilia. Hmm? Is it like does the betrayal lead to necrophilia? Is it like a chain of events? Uh, that... Necrophilia is basically the, the uh, end result. Ah, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah. <laughs> And so basically, uh, what the play is about is that this princess uh, Salome um, is is in love with uh, John the Baptist, and when he turns her down uh, in, uh, you know, uh, not such a very polite way, he calls her, uh, you know, uh, daughter of Sodom, uh, uh, basically a, a son of Satan, basically, uh, oh, or daughter, or whatever. Yeah. And um, harsh. Yeah, no, because he's a holy guy. He can't, you know, have interest in women and all that kind of stuff. So I don't think it was generally personal towards her, but more as she is a woman and therefore unholy. Um, Anyway, uh, she is really upset by this and demands her stepfather to to chop off his head and give it to her. Um, And uh, to do this, uh, he demands a dance from her, uh, which is an erotic dance. Um, and so, at the end of the play, she makes out with his severed head, uh, John the Baptist, that is. Uh, mm-hmm. In the game, you actually start off as John the Baptist in the dungeon of the king. And uh, you just sort of walk around, and a bunch of uh, quotes from the play come up uh, that actually was wrote by, written by Oscar Wilde. Um, just show up in front of you as you stay five to seven minutes down in the dungeon just walking around doing nothing. And it's basically all the stuff you've said, or uh, John the Baptist said to uh, to Sloan, um, giving you the backstory of why you are going to die. And as the dungeon part, which is basically the first half of the game, uh, ends, a guy comes in and and chops off your head. Um, And then after that, you control a camera uh, flying around the palace courtyard, uh, doing stuff. I won't spoil it too much for you. Uh, it's in the review as well. So, uh, but you can, you know, look at Salome and look at uh, John the Baptist's severed head on the plate. And uh, and the funny thing is that 
in this uh, biblical story, there's actually in the palace courtyard a guitar and amplif- amplifier, and Salome is actually wearing an iPod. So what the symbolism of that is, Kip, I think you'll be more qualified to answer. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> okay, <laughs> it's uh, it's strange. I I I gotta say I I've played the whole thing uh, three times now. And I'm starting to get more bits and pieces of it, uh, mostly because I'm actually reading the play right now, uh, bits and pieces of it, and, and I'm starting to understand more stuff, but it's still kind of lost on me. And I do consider myself a pretty smart guy, and so I do not recommend this to most people. Mm-hmm. You'd have to be really specially interested to, to truly enjoy this game for the seven bucks you'll have to pay for it. So, yeah. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> Alright. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, I just, uh, I mean, do you guys know anything about the real story of John the Baptist, or? I'm just trying to process everything Buck said. <laughs> yeah. That's a game of yeah. right there, my friend. That's an experience. To, to, yeah, it's not a game. It, it would be wrong to, to judge it as a game. It is an interactive art experience. And that's basically what the developers sold it as. They said, this is not a game. The controls might feel weird to you because they are... I think they said yeah. something about uh, maximized to uh, to avoid motion sickness because the one of yeah, the... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I read that too. It was really weird. Yeah, because one of the directors uh, get motion sickness when, they, when she plays... Uh, First-person games. So basically, just for her, just just for her, this was done. And so the controls are really, really bad in the game. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess to me, it's like, who, you know, who cares? You know, what I mean, I'm not gonna go and like, there'd be no reason for me to ever go to that site, download that game, and play it. Like, you know what I mean? Even if I was really interested in John the Baptist and art, like. To me, that's just, uh, I don't know. It just seems really silly to me. So, mm. Other thoughts? Yay, necrophilia. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! But uh, anyway, yeah, I mean, it does, It does. from what from what you said, Moth, it sounds like it's pretty close to the real story of John the Baptist as well, so. Well, the, the, the thing is, the, ba- the game mostly takes place after the story. Um, yeah, well, I mean, but the story of, like, cutting off the head and, yeah, yeah. you know, silver platter, that at least that element, you know. So, yeah. okay, well, you know, um, moving along here, uh, Gavin, you want to talk about, you, I understand you've been playing a little Brutal Legend this week? been playing a tribute to the most manliness of, the manliest of music, yes, I have. Um, talked about it a little bit last week, not much has changed, I had to pump out a playthrough to get the, my most awesome review on the site, which is, it is up there at this moment, so look at it, love it, and adore it. Um, just really pumped through that game, was always funny consistently to the end. Um, the side missions were a bit kind of samey, um, but the presentation, the music was just fantastic, and yeah, it got a uh, worth renting and worth buying for me, so that's the highest I can give. Uh, go and check it out. I also got Daxter for three bucks for my PSP. So rock on there. I haven't played it yet, though. But mainly I wanted to talk a little bit today about Blu-ray. And specifically, I've been reading a lot of consumer studies that say a lot of consumers can't tell the difference between a Blu-ray and a DVD, which makes me question why. I mean, um, they have to have a, a player. They have to have a TV to view it. Um, I, I've told the difference since before I owned it. But hey, I'm not going to put out a claim on people's uh, intelligence. But I got three new Blu-ray discs I want to talk about. 
Um, I, I got to stop you there, yeah, uh, just quickly. Um, I, I think you made a mistake in saying that it 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 has to do with their intelligence. Um, I think it has more to do with just their denial of, uh, you know, uh, it's it's uh, the denial of the brilliance before them. No, uh, uh, it's um. Well, I think it's just because a lot of people think that DVD quality is good enough. Yeah, exactly, and and they, they don't, don't need want that to... extra, extra. And they're trying to sort of uh, not justify, but they're trying to convince themselves that they don't need to spend the money to 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 upgrade. One, uh, I mean, truthfully, uh, there is a significant difference, but I don't know if it's a five hundred dollar significant difference, which most you know uh, top of the line Blu-ray players cost. Indeed. Um... I too was not necessarily too engrossed in purchasing a, um, any Blu-ray technology. I had it because of my PS3, but the main reason I purchased it was the storage content because uh, my DVDs were cluttering up too much of my room. Therefore, buying Blu-rays actually shortened my library quite a bit. So again, I'll take back that claim of, against intelligence, um, a bit hasty on my part. But I, I just wanted to talk about um, The Graduate and A Clockwork Orange on Blu-ray. Both are pretty old movies, The Grad- um, both coming from the 70s or the graduate in the late 60s, mind you. Um, but both um, have a really good restoration, and I think just, a, just in terms of a, uh, what's the word, a, um, not necessarily a request, but a recommendation for anyone buying Blu-rays, take a look at the older movies, because they, there's a really good restorative process that's going on. Most uh, most movies just look absolutely radiant on this. and not, It's not necessarily like eyes gouging out beautiful, but it's just a lot of detail that you missed because of the earlier prints. A lot of prints have been kept until this new technology became pervasive enough to use. And movies like The Graduate and A Clockwork Orange and any of your old favorite movies would probably look a lot better. So it's an, uh, it's an experience that I would suggest for pretty much anyone that likes movies released before 1980. I can't really imagine Clockwork Orange looking any better than my current DVD copy. Do you have a Criterion copy or something? Uh, no, but it's still a fantastic copy. Okay. But uh, since it's only 10 bucks on Amazon for the Blu-ray, I think I'm going to have to find out for myself. Cool. Uh, I guess I don't quite understand. Um, these these movies obviously weren't filmed in high definition. <laughs> you know, I mean, so I, I guess I don't understand how, how did they get improved other than just being enhancements, and why do I... I need Blu-ray to well, see those it, enhancements. It's, 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 it's the... Uh, well, you don't really need Blu-ray to see those enhancements. Uh, you could do it on mm-hmm. DVD uh, as well. It's just not been done properly on DVD. I mean, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but the old way of filming was actually to burn the light into a photo cell. Correct? They actually, that's shooting analog, and believe it or not, 90% of all Hollywood films are still shot on analog footage. Yes, because that and has no pixels, and that is the... Close to perfect it is, quality. Exactly. And you can do things with analog that you just can't do with digital. Mm. You know, uh, just tricks with focus and stuff. And they film it on analog, transfer it to digital for the editing, put it back on analog for, you know, uh, exhibition and, and uh, just showing in theaters. But it's still a digital transfer onto a disc. Mm. Did that answer your question, Kip? Uh, I mean, not really. <laughs> no, no offense. I, 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 I forgot the original question. I, I thought, I thought, I thought all 
movies nowadays were taught were filmed on uh like with high definition cameras or whatever you know i guess i don't no, know there's, but no they're still shot onto a analog footage then transferred the to digital point? for editing process isn't that insanely expensive like uh apparently not or else they probably would have stopped doing it well i mean okay i mean it just seems like i i guess i'm just going by the very very limited knowledge that I know that like film students nowadays, because they can film their final projects on like high definition digital cameras, they no longer need to spend like thirty thousand dollars in debt to make their final their like senior projects. So, I mean, it just seems. I guess I just. Well, it seems to me that filming something that I can film over ten thousand times is a lot cheaper than film that gets burned and permanently used. So. Well, from what I can tell, the the only quality reason in terms of picture quality to to use analog is so that you could show it with its true quality in theaters, right? Yeah, because okay. I mean, massive screens, uh, you yeah. really need analog to get the best quality, and that way it's pretty much as close to what the human eye is seeing that you'll ever get. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Well, I mean, anyway, so we moved on past um we just even watching Blu-ray movies. <laughs> so, <laughs> I have been watching um, movies. I recommend people to older movies on Blu-ray. Kip, so, why don't you talk uh, a bit about uh, DJ Hero? Yeah, sure. Um I'll talk about a, a couple different things actually. I'm going to talk about uh I I did a lot of geeky stuff this week because I had graduate school midterms this week and so I just basically shut off my school brain for the rest of the week and just gamed. So um, the first thing I really wanted to talk about was Rock Band. Uh, I actually I went to a pawn shop and I got Rock Band and Need for Speed Most Wanted uh, for 20 bucks. Like the original Rock Band and Need for Speed Most Wanted for 20 bucks, which I thought was a pretty good deal. Um, yeah. And then I... Uh, so I, I went home and I, I, I wanted to look at the process of... I, apparently you can take your original Rock Band songs and upload them all to your PS3 and then play them in Rock Band 2. Now, I don't know if you guys yeah. have done this, but you mm. can do that, okay? But one of the issues is that once you do it, it takes up about a gig and a half on your hard drive, which is, you know, whatever, but you have to pay a $5 licensing fee to do it. Mm. And to me, that was a little, that was just kind of a strange thing. That like, I already bought the game. Why do I have to pay a licensing fee to not switch discs? I remember reading about this when they first announced it. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, basically, uh, the uh, the justification was that because uh, you were basically playing uh, the songs in a new game, in a new product, they had to re-license all the songs. And so this $5 um, price is so they could pay for that. Uh I guess, but I mean, uh, for, from my perspective, now from the consumer, I've bought both copies of the game. I own the rights now to those songs. Like, yes, but you're not discs. playing them. Yeah, I know that, but you're not playing them on the Rock Band 1 disc. You're playing them on the Rock Band 2 disc. But that's the thing. For me, is I feel like I should be able to do whatever I want with those songs now. Mm. I, sh- I should be able to light up, you know, I mean, I should be able to upload them onto my computer I should be able to do whatever I want. I should be able to mod anything I want. You know what I mean? It's They're mine. I own them. I paid money for them. Mm. Why do I have to pay 
five dollars to not switch discs. Like that to me is just I feel like it's just making money. Like it's just theft basically. Mm. And making me pay for something that I already paid for. So I wish they would have just either not done that or not charged me five dollars. I just think it's really silly. But anyway, so I just thought that was like an interesting thing. Moving on. Uh I also played DJ Hero today. And um so I was, you know, my original theory on this was that it probably wasn't going to be that successful just based on the idea that, you know, I think I think what makes rock bands so cool is you feel like a rock star and other people get to watch you and it's fun. And I didn't think that was going to translate to DJ Hero. I didn't think you were actually going to feel like a DJ and I didn't think people were going to want to watch people pretend to be a DJ on a plastic toy. But mm. honestly, after I played it today, I did feel like a DJ and I'm going to tell you we were the very first they they set it up at Best Buy today just when I was going in there and within that we were the very first ones to set it up because actually the the guys who were trying to set it up didn't know how so me and my buddy actually helped them <laughs> and so yeah it was funny so we helped them set it up and we got it all installed and everything it only took like 5 minutes and so we were the very first ones who played it and i am telling you that within 5 minutes of playing it there was a crowd of about 9 to 10 people around us watching us play it Awesome. Yeah, and and one guy because you can play guitar and drums with it. So, oh. um, I didn't yeah, know that. I didn't no, know. I either. did not know that either. Yeah, you can do that. You can play guitar and drums with it. So, I was pretty amazed by that. And yeah, so me and my friends were playing, and it was really really cool. I mean, it was really really cool. I don't know if it's two hundred dollars for the Renegade Edition cool, but how it works is you you push down the buttons and those are your beats. Then there's certain times where you, there's a symbol where you have to scratch the disc while pushing down the buttons. And then at the same time is you have to stay on the track. And in order to stay on the track, you have to pull this little lever back and forth. Yeah. And that's like, yeah. And so basically that's how the game works is like you're either doing, you're doing one of three tasks. You're either pushing the button, pushing the button and scratching or moving that letter, lever. And, it's it's really cool. I mean, I really did feel like a DJ. I think it's going to be a huge success this holiday season. And, uh, yeah, I was very impressed. A thousand times more impressed than I thought I was going to be. And I know that early on when Elder Geek first got going, this was kind of like the running joke about how much of a failure this was going to be. But after watching today and how many little kids literally just ran over to watch us play, like, there's no there's no doubt in my mind it's going to be a success. So, real uh, Real quick question, though, Kip. You said that you can utilize both the DJ and guitar and drum controllers, right? Yeah. In the song. How do they? How do the different tracks work? Because the DJ track is on a curve. Um, how do they fit all the tracks on, onto the screen? Um, well, no, no, no. It's, it's just split like normal. It just looks like normal. Like half the screen is oh. the DJ, and then half the screen is the... Just like you were playing two guitars. So. Oh, I mean, they just made it smaller, I guess, or something. But it, it looked normal to me. So one yeah, of them oh, just got one of them's curved. So <laughs> the the thing about DJ Hero to me is uh, I'm not that good on playing at playing guitar uh, on Rock Band or Guitar Hero. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can do medium, and that's basically it. As soon as I get the orange button in there, then I totally fail. Um, yeah. To me, DJ Hero looks like. It could, I mean, I, I don't mind that the notes come at me fast. I can deal with that. But if I have too much to to uh, to sort of uh, 
stay, stay on top of, then I'll just fail. To me, DJ, DJ Heroes seems like the sort of perfect balance with that. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, you're always... You have three buttons, and those are the only three buttons. Everything else is just something you're prepared already, you know. Uh, you can do at the same time without sort of uh, neglecting those three three buttons, you know? Yeah. To me, that's it's, uh, really appealing. It got, it got really complicated really fast. I promise you. <laughs> okay. Like, yeah, it gets hard really fast, especially when you're when you're scratching, pushing the button, and moving the switch all at the same time. It gets complicated because you're, you're you're switching between the buttons so quickly. I don't know. It, it got hard quick. Okay. So, hmm. I would say it's going to be just as hard as Guitar Hero is. So <laughs> once, you know, once you get to hard, it's going to be difficult. So yeah. Anyway, so um, yeah, it was pretty cool. I. I'd recommend everybody to at least try it. You know, I mean, it's definitely it was worth trying. So, but uh, and then the final thing is, I I finally got a chance to go around and play Uncharted 2 Among Thieves, which I didn't get to do last week until finally this week. And I'm honestly, spoilers. Like, if you spoil anything, I will kill you. Okay. Well, I don't know. I just I kind of I don't know. I kind of think the game isn't that great, to be honest. Yeah, you're a moron. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, it's awesome. I mean, I'm just kidding. I just was busting Mats' balls because I know he's a fanboy for it. No, it's uh, <laughs> it's <laughs> it's it's really good. Obviously, the only the only I guess if I did have one complaint is the ridiculous amount of propane tanks. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I kind of feel like they're the, they're like the haystacks from Assassin's Creed. Just a ridiculous amount. <laughs> you know what I think it is? Uh, why they went for propane tanks in, instead of ton, uh, you know, um, you barrels, know, barrels <laughs> and stuff like that? It's because you know you're basically in these third world countries where you know um, everything yep. runs on gas. Yep. So I think I think probably that's the justification they would use if you ask them that question. Yeah. But I mean, it's just that there's like a hundred of them. Yeah, I know. You know? <laughs> it's just, I mean, that's just, I mean, it makes me laugh and I like using them and I think it's cool. But yeah, overall, that game, you know, I imagine you guys talked it off a lot last week, so I won't go into it too much. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's the closest the game's ever been to a movie. I will say, I will say one thing about the propane tank, so that was pretty awesome. Um, at my, I, I played the games two times now. I completed it on hard as well. And uh, through my hard playthrough, I, I naturally knew where enemies would show up. So uh, when you had to backtrack a little, uh, I would before I went back to that area where I knew there would show up enemies. When I went through the area the first time, I would strategically position the propane tanks so that they <laughs> would be aligned with where the clusters of guys would be. So yeah. when I came back to it and it actually saves their location, even though that the, you know some sort of environmental effect has happened on the area or whatever. So when I came back, all I had to do was shoot the few propane tanks that dealt with everyone. <laughs> so that was pretty yeah. awesome. But uh, yeah, the part I actually just finished was the um, I just finished the helicopter part where okay. you destroy the helicopter and all that. And mm. God, that was so ridiculous. I mean, it, it sucked. It almost made me mad that I already saw it at E3. You know what I mean? Because yeah. it's just such an amazing part, and just that whole city landscape is just so incredible. Like, yeah, it's the that's the future of video games, in my opinion. Mm. So, mm. is that how that game is? Because everything about it was perfect, in my opinion, as far as 
the the display and the voice acting and the way it told the story. That's how video games are going to be, in my opinion. So. Yep. Agreed. Gavin, Elliot. Well, uh, I haven't played it yet. <laughs> I mean, I can't play it until I uh, I I'm not allowed to play Uncharted 2 until I uh, beat and review uh, Borderlands. Uh, <laughs> Did um, Randy tell I, you couldn't or what? <laughs> oh no, I just know that if I start playing Uncharted 2, I'm not going to yeah. be playing anything else until that game is beaten. Yep. Three times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what is... Yeah, there's like the crushing mode as well or something. So. Yeah, I was actually going to... Um, I, I played the game on normal for review just because I thought that was the best way to judge the game. And mm-hmm. uh, I was going to, um, to go to crushing right after that. Uh, of course, I forgot from the first game that you actually unlock crushing from, uh, from playing hard. So... Yeah. Um, and basically all I have left to do now is play Crushing and I'll have a Platinum Trophy. So, hmm. yay. Yay. I want to play it for the sole reason of playing Donut Drake. <laughs> for, the, um, no. for everyone that don't know, you unlock various character skins and different looks. And Donut Drake is where you add 200 pounds to, um, to Nathan Drake and it actually deepens <laughs> his voice. And he will bend over and breathe heavily when he does a lot of action stuff. And I love, I just want to see a 300 pound man, like, fling himself around. <laughs> that would be awesome. Hey, Kip. Hmm. Marco. Hey, what's up? Polo? Marco? I don't, a polo? I don't understand. Wait, didn't you, ah, oh, never mind. <laughs> Spoiler alert. No, you're anyway, supposed no, to, there. you're supposed to have seen it. I can I just seen it yet. I can just spoil this because it's really easy to miss and it's not really a story a significant event. But in in the, in the city, uh, you can actually jump into a pool on a rooftop, and Drake will sort of kid around and yell to uh, to Chloe, uh, Marco. No, uh, no, I didn't. I didn't do that. I guess. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's funny, oh, man. So, um, I guess uh, yeah. Last but not least, I, I bought uh, Loco Roco two this week. And uh, Local Roco 2 is really, really, really cool. It's a, it's a, I don't know. I mean, if you liked Local Roco, you're gonna like Local Roco 2, and it's probably the best game on the PSP. In, in my opinion, I haven't played Chinatown Wars yet, but awesome. in my opinion, so go get it. <laughs> it's twenty bucks. So, all right, that's it. Uh, I guess for our weekend geek, and uh, uh, so I think we will move on then to the discussion of the week. Yeah, that was a nice little rhyme I had. Anyway, uh, question of the week is um, based off Peter Molyneux picked five five games that he thought were the most revolutionary games of the last 20 years. Those games were the RTS Dune 2, Super Mario 64, Tomb Raider, Halo, and World of Warcraft. So those are the five games that he thought changed gaming and put gaming on the map and, you know, however else he decided to define what he meant by revolutionary. And so I thought today we could go out and just, you know, throw out some games that we thought revolutionized gaming. And uh, so, you know, I think one of the very first ones, obviously, that needs to be thrown out is Super Mario Brothers. So, Well, it's, he uh, did say past 20 years. Yeah, let's let's use uh, his... his uh, oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, first, okay, I'd like we'll to, first, I'd like to go over his choices, which I thought was really weird. Oh, yeah. Uh, 
Uh, I mean, um, Dune 2. I've okay. never actually... Uh, <laughs> yeah. First of all, let's go with which ones do we agree with before we start attacking? Do we uh, agree with Super Mario 64? Um, no. no, not really. As a precursor, I mean, as a precursor to Grand Theft Auto 4 and free roaming, I mean, no, no, I don't. I mean, yes, there was free roaming in Super Mario 64, but it's really just a glorified level select stage. And uh, Elliot is referencing a direct quote by Peter Molyneux. He's not just saying that there was nothing between Super Mario 64 and Grand Theft Auto 4. <laughs> Peter Molyneux said uh, Super Mario 64 was a precursor to Grand, Grand Theft Auto for yeah. roaming around with the interactive environment. Okay. Um, I would agree with Super Mario 64 only because it was the first true 3D platformer. And it basically laid the groundwork, in my opinion, for what 3D platformers were from that point on. So. Yeah. And if he had said that, then I would have agreed with him. But as a precursor to free-roaming, open-world, non-linear games, no. As a 3D platformer, definitely. Uh, well... Here's the thing, though. Uh, Tomb Raider uh, was before Mario, Super Mario 64. And Tomb Raider is a 3D platformer. But it, uh, yeah, that's true, I guess. Really? Was it was it before 64? Yeah, one year, typing, one, stop. one year so. before. <laughs> okay. Okay, so. well, let's just modify that then. Super Mario 64 is revolutionary for the translation of 2D franchises to the third dimension. Uh, yeah, okay, sure. I can go with that. Uh, I, I don't even know about that. I'm going to say <laughs> it was more than just that, though. I mean, I think it was honestly like, whatever Tomb Raider did, I don't think it did better than Mario 64. Yeah, so. I didn't find the controls in Tomb Raider to be anywhere near as responsive as the ones in uh, Mario 64. True, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And I mean, just the... I mean, I don't know. In in my, I mean, I'm biased. I Super Mario 64 is one of my absolutely favorite games of all time. I just felt like it was such a perfect game, and it. I had you guys got to go back to that state of mind that that you at that point we hadn't even seen 3D games. You know what I mean? Like we were at 2D games that were based on levels, and you had lives at that point. And then Mario 64 came out and seeing just I remember seeing Mario in 3D was so incredible. That alone, that was, fact alone was yeah, so incredible. Yeah, it was amazing, but it was still made up of levels and based on lives. What was his I don't Sorry. I don't I think don't putting ourselves in a certain mindset is how we do this list. I don't think that's the proper method of putting something into this list, but I agree with you that Super Mario 64 was revolutionary. But oh, I would yeah. also like to agree. I would also like to agree with Tomb Raider, not just for three, uh, you know, three worlds and movement because it polygons. wasn't as good as others. I think uh, it's no, not the polygons either. I would actually say video game marketing and how successful a video game character, not just a female, but a video game character in general, was to an audience outside of kids. I thought that Tomb Raider was a real harbinger of how games would later develop and fringe off. From being just for, just for kids and young-minded adults, not young-minded, but young-at-heart adults. To no, I think that's. Did you guys Super did you guys realize why Tomb Raider was on the list though? Tomb Raider was on the list because it was a feminine hero. Yeah, that's why. And, that's and just talking just talking about its uh, appeal to an older audience. 
There's a reason that happened. It's because all of the kids who were playing quote unquote kiddie games on, you know, the NES, SNES, and Genesis, they'd grown up into, you know, just acne ridden teenagers <laughs> who can't get any. And then Lara <laughs> Croft comes along. But yeah, he, Molyneux did actually say that it was revolutionary because of the strong female heroine. And apparently no one ever told him that Samus was a girl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and nobody, well, else, but, yeah. nobody also told him that nobody also told him that she isn't a strong female heroine. She's a set of tits, essentially. True. I mean, yeah. She, 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 I would, I would, often, I would disagree with that. Oh, okay. I mean, are we talking about, that, I mean, are we talking about the original Tomb Raider as yeah. done by British developers or, yes. you know, Okay. That's what, that's what's on the list. And I, again, again, I'm not disagreeing with it for Peter Molyneux's reason. I'm using that as a jumping off point. And I think she was, she is a strong, uh, a strong female character. I just, I agree that the base, the base value of Laura Croft, Laura Croft is tits. But I also believe that there's a lot that could be taken out of it that is actually positive towards uh, femininity in gaming. But do you, you, you see though? Do you see though that she had to become a sex object? Before we could get that, like in order for it to penetrate for men, they ha- it had to first be a sex object. Before she could be strong, she had to be a sex object. Like that's yeah. the problem right there. That so. I mean, that's the whole point I made. And I mean, I wrote an article about this a long time ago, and I mentioned, you know, you had Terra in Final Fantasy VI. She was definitely a strong female heroine, and she was definitely not a sex object because. She was 16 pixels. <laughs> and, I mean, there's Elaine Marley in uh, Monkey Island series. Uh, yeah, but, I mean, also, though, people, course, can't ident- people can't identify with those. Like, a, no human yeah. being can identify with a 16-pixel person. Yeah, like, no. it, gaming I don't has know. I mean, gaming has changed since then. That when we yeah. see a character on the screen... Like like Mario, dude. When I played Super Mario Brothers, I wasn't like, I'm Mario, that's me. Like, I can relate to Mario. You know what I mean? But nowadays, when I look at, like, Kratos, or I look at, like, I see these heroes with multi-dimensions and thick personalities, like, we relate at a different level. And I would also say that Kratos can be a sex object of the opposite sex, too. But that's not... And I would say that you're also gaining a secondary um, connection with the character. I think... Video games have always been hypersexualized. I just think it was Laura that really hit the big time for it. And yes, Samus was a chick first, but you know what? Samus was an armored chick. And it's, I don't, I really don't believe this personally, but I think Laura was the first one to be what she is and get attention for doing it. I just think Samus. Yeah, the first one to get attention for doing it, but I mean, I still consider Terra to be superior. Yes, she was pixelated, but I consider any number of characters from like Final Fantasy VI or Chrono Trigger to have far more depth and to be far more relatable than, you know, some characters nowadays. Like that stupid bitch in the new Prince of Persia game. Oh, hey, hold oh, on. Dude. Yeah, well, it looks like Natalie Portman. Do you see? Do you see right there though, Elliot? The fact that you just said that stupid bitch. Like yeah. that right there is the epitome of how gamers view women. Like, no, it's not. That's the epitome of how. No, that's the you epitome of how I view. You just called her a name based off her gender. Like you yep. didn't, you didn't say she was a she was a jerk or a terrible character or something. You called her a bitch 
which is a term that's based off only for only females based on being a female. Hey, guys can be bitches too. Hey, the prince in the new Prince of Persia was definitely and, a bitch. And when you call a guy a bitch, what are you calling him? You're calling him a feminine. Woman. You're calling yeah, I'm him still a woman. That, yeah. Okay. <laughs> what, what yeah. Quality, but, I mean, what qualities of what was her name? Alestia or something? What qualities of the Prince of Persia chick that looks like Emily Portman? Make her a bitch. She's not. Uh, I mean, if we go by the dictionary definition that was made to cover up the fact that it's only gender, she's not snarky. She's not rude. She's not uh, curt. She's she's. You just refer to her as a bitch. No, she because she thought of her that switches, way. No, she switches between you know vaguely flirtatious to just this whole standard hostile female thing, and. Oh. I mean, right I, there, Matt. I this, honestly, this is though, just, honestly this, though, that's not just, that unusual. Yeah, I know. I know. It's not that unusual, but it's still a stereotype, and I don't know. Maybe it's just me thinking because the dialogue was so horribly written, <laughs> and the gameplay was really just was, yeah. awful. But See, I completely disagree with that. I have no problems with the dialogue of uh, Prince of Persia, or the gameplay for that matter. Um, and she didn't, she didn't come off... To me, she, I didn't even notice it. I didn't even... Uh, it, it it was never an issue to me her her reaction to things or her, or her acting or what or anything. So I don't know. Okay, it's, well, point point being, let's bring it. Let's tie it back in a little bit, guys. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. But point being, go ahead, Ellie. I won't I won't steal your last word, Ellie. Go ahead. Sorry. Well, my main point is that Tomb Raider. I mean, Gavin made the point already, or you did. I don't know who did. That had to be a sex object before being recognized as a credible female protagonist, and I still don't think she's reached that. But I do think that some earlier characters that came before and are definitely more revolutionary deserve some recognition, but they never do get any. Yeah, well, and why? Because they weren't sex objects, because they didn't have giant tits. (laughs) Actually, yeah, yeah, that's true. (laughs) And so, just point at- being, point, point being though that that Peter Molyneux saying that she was a strong female character and that changed from the traditional male role, I disagree with that because she wasn't a strong female character for most people. Most people, when they think of Laura Croft, when I walk up to somebody and say Tomb Raider, Laura Croft, what do they think? Tits. They don't think tits exactly they don't think oh yeah she was an intelligent british doctor who went on adventures but when we think of when we think of indiana jones do we first think wow handsome Wait, no we think like ed- we i think, think adventurer you know <laughs> so well that okay that's the dichotomy of marked and unmarked that's a huge philosophical sociological and psychological psychological issue that i would take days to really go into but i, I agree with you on that but i i also think that i I'm going for this mainly because no one has had a marketing blitz still. Still, I would argue maybe Master Chief. No one has had a marketing blitz based strict, strictly on the character, and even if it's just tits, strictly on the character, the Mara Croft. She, outside of her game, advertised Mario. products huge. Yeah, Mario. What, what product outside of his games has Mario sold? TV Lunch shows, boxes, animated, TV, TV animated TV shows, <laughs> live-action TV shows, animated That's movies, live-action movies. That's still yeah. him related to his media. Boxes, Tomb Raider has shows. So, okay, so, you know, and with Dune being on this list, uh, I think the point that none of us have played it, kind of that in alone disproves his point. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, that none yeah. of us, have, we're pretty hardcore gamers. 
Oh, yeah. I don't yeah. even know about this game, really. I mean, I've heard of it. I know it's, like, one of the very first games of its genre. But, like, other than that, I really don't know that much about it. So, not that a game has to be known to be revolutionary, revolutionary but, I mean, come on, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, and, and I mean, Halo... Uh... Yeah, uh, it was the most popular FPS on console, or the first most popular, or it it probably still is. But I think that title belongs to Goldeneye, to be honest. I think I think right I, I agree that from a first-person shooter, it's probably not. From a first-person shooter, it's not revolutionary. No, no, but, it's but, but on rem- consoles. Yeah, yeah, uh, whatever. I mean, remember though that Halo Three was the most successful piece of media ever sold in the history of the world. Yeah. And that, obviously, I'm not just going to attribute to that, that being like, Microsoft pushed it really well. I refuse <laughs> just to attribute that to it. I think there's a lot more. There's something about the Halo universe, something about Master Chief, something about that game that is very attractive to not only hardcore gamers, but also to more casual gamers as well. And I, I honestly don't know if I can say what it is. And but I, there, there's a reason it was the most successful game in the hi- piece of media. That's film and everything included mm. ever, in the history of the world. So in that aspect, I can agree that it is really revolutionary. Um, I think uh, World of Warcraft would have something to say about that title. But um, <laughs> but in terms of, of numbers of units sold, yeah. Um, but I, it's... Um, I don't know. It it just doesn't add up uh, his justification for it being uh, the title that brought FPS games to consoles. That's not true. Not when GoldenEye was out. I mean, GoldenEye was out in 1997, and that was a console exclusive FPS. And to be fair to every um, to Peter Molyneux, we're going off one sentence explanations here. Mm. So it's not like he had an hour interview with these choices here. Something else to consider, though, guys. Something else to consider, though, is step out of your gamer stance for a second and remember that if i walked up to some sorority girl on the street right now and i asked her which is she heard of halo or Goldeneye, which would she say halo because there was a hell of a lot more money behind that advertising campaign and it came out during the time when gaming <laughs> became more mainstream because yeah. gaming has steadily become a hell of a lot more mainstream ever since its inception mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think though, if you if you look back, who didn't have a friend or who hadn't played it uh, in terms of Goldeneye, you'd you'd find a very very select few people in in that ripe age in that uh, yeah uh, yeah, and uh, it's just uh, I see the, I, I see Halo as a, a follower of of Goldeneye. Okay. I, um, if I can just try and confine all of our arguments into one thing, we have a generational gap here between us who have been gaming for a while and when gaming has become more mainstream, we have a new type of culture going there. Both GoldenEye and Halo have similar prospects in which it brought the FPS formula to consoles and enjoyed a certain sense of popularity and execution. What the problem is we're having here is we're going from the old school um, the older school of gaming, whereas most people would um, instinctively side with the newer school, and they're very similar in terms of properties. So I think mm. that's just we're just we're just finding a big discomfort for us. But, but I think that in the, try not to look at it at this. Uh, what I think he means with this is that 
certain FPSs wouldn't have happened without Halo, or indeed most console FPSs wouldn't have happened without Halo. But would Halo have then happened without Goldeneye? I don't think so. No. No. So I think it would have. I, I well, I mean, then we get into this whole temporal argument because you know, <laughs> well, you guys, go into the past and. That- that there's a group of people right now. Sorry, Elliot, but there's. Go ahead. You say what you're going to say. Go into a past, you kill a butterfly, and we're all serving the evil alien overlords. Kip, okay. I, I think I think you're about to say something, but I um first I want to, <laughs> I want, first I want to put out. I'm not saying that uh, that uh, there well, is, there is different there there isn't different audiences and there isn't people that. Have never heard of Goldeneye, but are just as happy playing playing Halo. What I'm saying is that they Microsoft used Goldeneye's past successes on a console for justification of trying an FPS on a console again. Well, I think there was other FPSs that came in between Goldeneye and Halo. You know what I mean? And also came before Goldeneye mm. that proved the formula was successful. Because you guys got to remember how things work. This is how things work in the gaming industry. The most hardcore gamer in the world plays something. And this is true of any technology. The most hardcore gamer in the world plays something and enjoys it. And after a while, he passes it to his friends, who are, you know, somewhat pretty hardcore gamers, who then pass it to their friends, who are, mm, kind of gamers, who then passes it to their friends, who aren't really gamers, to then, to all the way till now grandma's playing the Nintendo Wii. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that's, and that's the pattern of things. So, to me... If you look at it from that perspective, GoldenEye was a big jump in there, but I still think first-person shooters, because of games like, you know, Quake, games like Half-Life, all the other first-person shooters that are unbelievably successful, and people, a lot of people would, you know, argue to the death that are better than Halo, still proved that formula. And I think Microsoft's approach as being like, this is a PC gaming experience in console, was inevitably going to bring that over. And... That, I guess that's the perspective that I look at it from. Well, I mean, so. actually, the 3DO was actually doing that in the 90s, <laughs> saying PC-quality games on a console. And but, the, but the difference between Microsoft and 3DO is that Microsoft actually brought what it said it would bring. Well, so I mean, Wolfenstein 3D, 3D I mean, okay, 3DO failed maybe 99 times out of 100, but Wolfenstein 3D on 3DO was awesome. Mm. So they did it right first. I think- I think we fragmented off into several different arguments that are never going to be resolved here. Yeah. Let's, Let's talk about World of Warcraft. Yeah. 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 It, it did. It did revolutionize. <laughs> yeah. No arguing. There is simply there's simply no possible way to argue against it. Absolutely none. You can say that maybe EverQuest before it. Maybe. No. No. Maybe. But the argument here is that it used the carrot dangling to drive players to keep playing. And obviously, EverQuest never succeeded in the way World of Warcraft did <laughs> in doing that. Um, yeah. I, I just I can't argue this in any possible way. Um, yeah, it's true. He made a good call on that one. Yeah, no doubt. You know what he did? Is he he said something very obvious to all gamers. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we should we should reward him for being Captain Obvious. <laughs> 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 but uh, you know, we put his picture up, and he's probably happy about that. So, yeah, <laughs> with his cult look or cult look. Anyway, yeah. so okay, guys. Um, you know, anything we want to pimp on the site? 
Well, it's the usual stuff. Uh, Facebook, YouTube, uh, rate and review Twitter. the podcast, comment and join the forums, uh, Twitter. Uh, 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 look forward to Elder Geek, the Elder Geek Gaming Show, Episode 3 coming up, as in Elliot preluded with earlier today. Um, I've got a PSP Go video review coming up pretty quick. Anything else? Uh, yeah, we have, we have a, a top ten list of, uh, of horror games. Do we know coming up tonight? Actually, yeah, tonight. Yep. So, so anybody get, um, can give us? Can can we tease people with the ten through seven, maybe? Sure, if you want. Okay. Let yeah, let's tease people. Ten through um, seven. Ten through seven. Okay, these are the top survival horror video games. Not action horror. Not uh, not anything else. And that's described in the intro. Survival horror in the purest definition of the term. And thus we tease you with number 10 through 7, and my Microsoft Word is loading. Okay, no, um, number 10, Dino Crisis. Yay. Number 9, number mm-hmm. nine Siren. Number 8, oh. Dead Space. And number 7, oh. Parasite Eve. So that's what you're looking oh. for, and that's nice. only 10 through 7. So we got six more titles meant to entrance and scare the shit out of you without having to resort to over-the-top action. So look forward to that, and... Look forward for the remaining week of Friday Night Creature Feature. After that, we're going to go out with a big bang, and we're not going to tell you at all what that is. So keep an eye peeled for that. Yep. We also have a Borderlands video review coming up next week. Oh, okay. Excellent. Not so to you me- can see all... Oh, go ahead. My- <laughs> not to mention another quick and dirty. Uh, okay, the, game yeah. with- the game is uh, SingStar Queen this time. Yep. SingStar Queen. Very, and then- very dirty. Gorgeous, dirty. <laughs> and, <laughs> and just a general note, when dealing with all things Elder Geek, keep your eyes in a continuously peeled state, because good stuff is always coming. Yep. Always coming. So, okay, everybody, that's episode 28, Elder Speak, signing out, eldergeek.com. That's elder-geek.com. Have a great night. Awesome. Bye, guys. Yep, see ya. Later. Woo! I love it! Chief, can you hear me?